0: Hi, my name's Steve Wishart, and I'm the IB World Schools Manager for Australasia at the International Baccalaureate. In today's episode, IB leaders from across the globe gather together to share their insight into teaching for the future, preparedness for the fourth industrial revolution, and employability of graduates. We are joined by Darlene Fisher, host of our leadership podcast series, and IB leaders, Frank Brashier, head of school at Goldcrest International, Nick Ulchin, Deputy Head of Campus at United World College, Southeast Asia. James McDonald, Director of the International School of Brussels. And Jasmine Madhani, Head of Jamnabi Nasi International School.
1: Hello everyone. I'm Jasmine Madani, head of Jamnabai Narsee International School, Mumbai, India. This is the three-program IB school. I also contribute as the IBN member as a workshop leader for the diploma program and the school visit team member.
2: Hello, I'm uh, Frank Racha, and I am the head of Goldcrest International School in Mumbai, India. I have been working in IB schools since 1994. My current school is an IB diploma school. I am both a workshop leader and a school evaluation visitor. I also am the chair of the IB Heads Association for Maharashtra and Gujarat, and I serve as the vice president of the All India IB Heads Association. And hi, everyone. I'm James McDonald, I'm the
3: director of the International School of Brussels. Before that I was with GEMS Education where I oversaw a cluster of IB schools. I was the director of two three program schools at NIST International and Yokohama International School and I'm also a former DP teacher.
4: Thank you James. Absolutely uh, ex-teachers all around I think. Um, My name is Darlene Fisher. I'm the moderator for this series of IB Leadership Podcast and the topic is are we supporting the employability of our graduates and preparing them well for the fourth industrial revolution? And with a particular focus on perhaps how COVID might have brought some of these needs a bit more to the forefront. So can I start with the first question and that is sort of sitting the ground. I'm wondering what you believe about but the past pre-COVID, I guess, the education that was happening in schools and the extent to which it was really justifiably supporting schools and uh, students and preparing them for their future work in this new globalised um, and technologically savvy future, Fourth Industrial Revolution. To what extent do you think we were well preparing them?
3: I think obviously context matters and, and there might not be one, one answer. But... I think part of that might be answered when we look at how easily schools made transitions when they were in lockdown and were able to deliver some of the teaching and learning from remote and from a distance and the students themselves had skills to work from home. And I think that could indicate to us on the success of those programs, a little bit of the skill gaps that might exist with some of our students in terms of self-regulation for example in terms of problem solving and also just from a, a systems approach um, you know, are our schools flexible enough to be able to deliver curriculum uh, differently and i think for that it was a really disruptive change uh, i guess the other thing i would just say is that what struck me in watching so many situations with families is that many of our, our students were learning at home while their parents were working remotely Not all, but many. And it seemed like the workplace could be replicated pretty easily in many cases with uh, remote working, which tells me if we have more of a gap between being able to offer an education uh, remotely or on campus, that is a bigger gap than you would have with the workplace, then maybe that's another area we need to look at as educators in preparing our kids for the future. Because it, it did seem like in many cases, a pretty seamless transition for a number of types of workers. To, to work from home,
4: a fascinating
1: perspective to add. Please, Jasmine, I would add to that the main idea of uh, when COVID started and everything. Uh, you know, quickly, uh, students had to come on board with the technological skills. That's one area. But uh, what I noticed was they are more independent now than what we used to see them in the classroom. So taking something that, okay, we are able to do. So that is uh, definitely uh, one uh, transition other than the, you know, the required uh, academic requirements in terms of the uh, concepts and all the other requirements were there, uh, they became more independent, as well as mindful of what's happening around them, of course, uh, with the teacher's uh, guidance on those areas too. So I would uh, put that way as uh, two different areas for the students in terms of transition. Thank you. And Frank?
2: Well, I would say, I think before COVID-19, I'm not really so sure we were preparing students for the fourth industrial revolution, to be really honest. Mm. I think... of the IB Diploma that do point to that, but I think the reality of conservatism in most educational institutes around the world are holding that back. I think COVID-19 has created an environment that has pushed things forward, but I must be honest, as an historian, you know there is social change, but there's also a reaction to change that happens. Mm -hmm. So my concern is that when things slowly return back to normal, that schools won't go back to what they're used to and they will all go back to what they were used to. Concern that I have is that we're able to use the changes we have now to to propel us into the future and not just accept them because that's what we need to do now, but we can go back to what we're comfortable with. We will try to do that. That will actually create a lot of conflict because it'll be difficult to go back to what you were, but people will want to do that. So we we will have to be mindful of that.
4: I think you're very right in, in that sense that there's always a challenge as we go through a crisis, people have a reason that they, they have to change and they've got to change and the students have got to learn more responsibility and become more technologically savvy and the, the teachers have had to do the same and that's the topic of another podcast. Specifically, students have had to learn more about self-management. This self-managing either your career and your studies and your learning and your development is certainly a, a skill that is considered to be an important part of a future careers and, and therefore something that we should be helping students with at the moment. And it looks like from what you're saying that this has been, I guess, encouraged significantly through the COVID experience. There's one, a question that, that we could ask about to what extent should schools prepare students with any vocational type of training or very specific career-related training. I know the the career program with the IB provides a a wonderful opportunity for students to get involved in specific learning like that. And in uh, some research that was done uh, by the World Economic Forum, they had 16 different schools that they were using as examples of specific programs that were connecting and successfully preparing students for this fourth industrial revolution. Of those 16 schools provided, 15 of them all had significant connections with businesses in their region in order to develop the programs that the students were using. And the one that wasn't was a program that was focused on early years, and therefore a little bit more time, than they would have plenty of time in the future. I'm wondering to what extent you think schools could maybe, or should perhaps, be looking more at that vocational side of things or really becoming a bit more focused on, on career skills, work skills, not to say that that's the only area and and, and that we should be educating for economics, but to what extent should we be supporting students in their careers in the future? Jasmine.
1: So I I would say that definitely, you know, schools, uh, they need to look at that the world is interconnected. Now, if this interconnected, then not just the uh, core hard uh, subjects, there are other areas which also, you know, we as a school, we need to support those children who are interested for those uh, uh, career uh, or the vocational uh, courses, which uh, probably uh, someone is good at uh, those areas. So definitely school has a big role in terms of uh, molding uh, kids and guiding them towards that because the future is uh, available for uh, those children who will go out uh, and look at uh, the future jobs where uh, we are looking at more now what is the creativity a student or uh, individual brings, uh, whether uh, individual is able to collaborate in the uh, team. So all those points are, uh, qualities are important for a student uh, to learn during
4: the schooling or the education. Certainly. James?
3: Yeah you know I'd agree with that and I I think some ways at least as a a leader that I I like to frame these things because ultimately we can talk about a lot of things at a conceptual level but, but how do we actually implement some of this and there's this distinction between on campus learning and off campus. And I think when we're looking at relationships with external organizations, if we can put kids into a different context than they're used to, they're going to learn differently. Right. So when they get out to that, what we might want to call the real world, and they're interacting with different adults that aren't their teachers, my gosh, the types of learning that can happen in those situations, and if you ask the kids, <laughs> it's really special and unique, and it's not new. I mean, John Dewey was talking about this 100 years ago, and I think what we're starting to rediscover a little bit is the importance of it, but I would also say that I think as leaders, one thing that we have to do so that we don't just snap back into old patterns, as Frank was mentioning, is really look at what I would argue is a very industrial model in schools, which is around the schedules and timetables. That is our biggest constraint in schools. We do it because it's efficient. It's how we allocate most of our costs is through the timetable, right, and that's, that's where we decide when a lot of the learning takes place and what type of learning, it often determines some of the pedagogy. If you have a flexible timetable and we can be more fluid about decisions around where kids will learn, then they can also have decisions about what they're going to learn and how they're going to learn it, and that could mean being off campus or having, you know, some, some virtual relationships with with companies that, that are able to come in and work with kids remotely, even while the kids stay on campus. So I, I really think that if we we're going to have some changes driven from this where we are going to allow students to learn these sorts of forced industrial revolution skills, it's probably when we look at our own timetables and our commitment to that as leaders and, and educators. Because I, I really think through there, we've been, we've been missing a trick in terms of trying to provide the
2: skills, dispositions, and learning that kids need.
4: Mm. Thank you. And Frank?
2: Well, I think uh, the benefit, say, of moving toward a, a more vocational or practical education is it can lead us to have project or portfolio assessment, which can be actually very effective because it's very practical. However, one of the concerns I would have is knowing that human capacity to try to put everything inside a box, meaning that what could be lost in this is the comprehensive nature of education. Um, That would be something we'd have to be very attentive to. I do, however, think that as we move into the 21st century, at least for the next two or three decades of that century, I do think we are going to move into a more vocational uh, sort of project-based style of education, especially if you look at what students are majoring in university. Uh, and things like that but i think we have to be mindful that we do not lose that that human capacity for culture and uh, literacy that could be lost in that that's all i'd have to say
4: now thank you uh, certainly it's an important aspect of, of what we're talking about to make sure that these skills are for students for their life it's not for any anything else it is the holistic education that we need to look at but it's an imp- I guess a part of our conversation if we're looking at the fourth Industrial Revolution is to what extent are we going to allow the the requirements of or the expectations of business as it were to guide what's what's provided in schools so I'm not saying that that's the right way to go but it's it's an awareness that that perhaps we need to have and keep an eye on can I ask us the the, the last uh, focus question, I guess, for us is to be specific about some of the skills that are touted as related to fourth industrial revolution and or the, this 21st century. And just ask you to think about which of these ones do you think most important? Which ones do you think uh, perhaps have been most pushed by COVID and what you would like to see? Uh, happen with them in the future, I'll just run through them quickly so we all can share what they are. As recommended, um, global citizenship skills come up, innovation and creativity skills, technology skills, interpersonal skills, personalised and self-paced learning, being accessible and inclusive learning, problem-based and collaborative learning and lifelong and student-driven now, those are certainly areas that have been supported by COVID, but I'm wondering which ones stand out for you?
3: The lowest hanging fruit on that one would have to be um, the technology skills. That if everyone wasn't using technology, they they weren't able to access the the curriculum. So uh, there's many others, but I'll, I'll turn it over to, I took the low hanging fruit on this as the first responder. <laughs> so, so let's hear what Jasmine and Frank have to say as well.
1: I, Yeah. So I would say interpersonal skills. uh, Definitely. uh, I would pick up that uh, as the first one because it is in COVID situation. I feel uh, compassion and um, empathy. uh, I would put that uh, is really uh, important for our students to be able to respond to. Thank you. And Frank.
2: Well, I would probably think, uh, which to me, there are four things that stand out. It would be innovation, interpersonal, self-paced, and student-driven. I think the students are driving their own education and taking charge of that to an extent, I think is very, very important. And I think that that hopefully could be the best takeaway we can get from a COVID-19 situation with the students.
4: Right. Could, could you perhaps um, elaborate a little bit on, on how you think all, what we can take away from COVID experience that we can build into the future that's related to these skills.
2: I think think what we can take away is that teachers can realize that students are part of the unit planning. Students are part of of the course outline. Students have an organic role in the development of the program. So this can move away from hierarchical teacher-led teach each and everything, Type of of method, which is very common in the part of the world that I'm working in, if this can help us disabuse that idea and and to move toward a a truly student centered and even student directed at times delivery of the program, I think that would be a great innovation for the future. I think that would be an enormous takeaway that could change the way teachers develop their units and plan them.
4: That sounds a, a very important part of developing skills of self management as well as self directed learning.
3: And Darlie, uh, yes. another point on that, to, to what Frank was saying, um, and there's a term that I really like, it's who owns the learning, you know, that question, yeah. and uh, I think to what well, Jasmine was saying as well as, as Frank, but that whole idea yeah. that when we had to move into a COVID situation, students were were kind of on their own and they had to own the learning in a different way, which is incredibly powerful. And I would like to think that we saw a lot of great examples of additional student agency. And by turning this really over to the students in terms of their relationship with the work, the tasks, and, and ultimately the learning outcomes. So, so I think that, that's, if there's a big takeaway, it's, it's that. And dare I say it, if we're looking at a vocational or a business environment that they're going to eventually move into, those outcomes matter. And in the, in the business world and many other places where they are going to be working, people aren't so much worried about the process, they're worried about the outcomes. And we're quite focused on process in schools as well we should be. But I think that whole idea of you being responsible for the learning, have to self-regulate the personalized approaches if it works for you and you can reach that end goal. Uh, these are incredible uh, opportunities that we've had over the last six months to to try out some of these things on a personal and on the school level. So.
4: Thank you, and Jasmine. I,
1: I would say that uh, what I noticed a big takeaway uh, balanced uh, students uh, in terms of uh, intellectual as well as uh, the emotional and the well-being of the uh, community. So you can right now you can see uh, students and the whole community working on those areas. So that would be my big takeaway from uh, COVID. So definitely, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, the two points which come in my mind would be that how do we respond in terms of being mindful as well as with compassion? Thank you. I think the
4: well being is a hugely important topic and one that we have another podcast on later in the series. And I think that's a very fair to say that this is certainly something that's become a much higher profile in everyone's eyes. Everyone's been struggling with it, and I, I love the idea where we're talking about being able to take you know student engagement and student involvement agency further and developing it, and what Frank was talking about with the students developing the curriculum. Certainly, an enormous part of what's potential for moving forward. Do you see that that these changes might encourage a, a change in the nature of university entry? I mean, we're talking about university entrance in, in another podcast, and do you think that that if we're pushing students to become more self-directed and more um, involved in developing their courses. Universities can't say you need a number out of a content test base, right? So do you see that this is perhaps encouraging a change in university?
1: Whether universities, but definitely, I think uh, in the COVID situation, even universities are realizing that what kind of skills the students, they are coming to uh, them. And uh, I definitely feel that universities may look at uh, that. And giving an example, I think I have shared this earlier also, that you know some of the universities have, uh, for example, said that sat optional. They don't want to now look at the numbers. They don't want to look at SATs or ACT scores only as the entry point. They are also looking at what skills the students are coming with. So uh, to my mind, yes, uh, that could be a future. Difficult to, uh, you know, say. But uh, yes, university admission officers do want to see the change uh, of the entry point. Thank you. Frank?
2: Well, I think the situation has caused universities to alter or change their admission standards. And I think there's been a a vested interest to do that because universities need students or they will have to close. So finance has actually allowed them to make this change. If universities will continue to evolve and expand what are the criteria for admission, this could be a really a game changer for all of us because we in the IB can make all kinds of changes we want. But as you said, Darlene, the universities are still looking for a very traditional number to get into university. There's only a limit to how much we can make, we can progress that change. So I think that universities are experimenting now, and I, I actually feel very good about that. I think we may start to see the demise of the elitist entry into university. I, I, may, I may be over-optimistic about that, of course. But uh, I, I do see this as, 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 as a potential game changer. So I think it could, be very good. it could be very good for the IB as it develops its programs in the future, including for the vocational program.
4: James?
3: You know, I, I had this big landmark in my life with my daughter going off to university this year. So that, that sad moment of that little girl that I, I walked into a kindergarten class so many years ago, but she actually wanted to go to Canada and she was looking at five different universities there. Every single university she was applying to had a program where she could, be, she could be involved in some sort of interdisciplinary work and every single time that came up it was really promoted as this will be great for getting jobs and for challenging your thinking and making you more critical and a better global citizen. And I, as an IB educator I was just thinking this is fantastic. These are exactly the sort of programs I'd love for my daughter to be taking. Um, But in terms of, you know, the vocational angle, and I think we have to be realistic about this. There's very few students that are going to leave an IB program, the CP or the DP, going right to the work world. We are really preparing these kids for that next level of education and that level of education is going to be preparing them for the workplace. Or at least that's what a lot of their focus is increasingly being on. And so the universities want to make sure that those kids have the skills. And what I'm encouraged to see is what they're doing is taking some of those skills that we've been talking about in the IB circles for many years and trying to enhance those. But unfortunately, I want to be optimistic and maybe I'm getting a little old here, but I can see slowly the admissions criteria changing at some universities. But let's face it, a lot of this is driven by what people can afford and it's much easier to take a standardized test score and let people in on a basic number. There's less subjectivity to it. And I think there are definitely examples, particularly in the US, where, where people look at much more holistic uh, approaches to deciding who gets in and who doesn't. But I think we're still a long way off from some type of system, which is really able to do um, a proper a- at scale, holistic approach to admissions to university. And, and that's just the, the harsh reality of it. And I don't think we've really seen that significant change over the last 20 years. And I'm, I'm not optimistic we're gonna see more because I don't see Universities pumping money into this because you would need more people. It's a lot harder. It doesn't scale in the same way. So
4: no, you're right. Yeah. It's a, a much more complex situation if you're not just taking numbers mm. that, that computers can crunch and you're actually looking at individuals. It is heartwarming though to know that there are some, a number of universities that are actually working on this already. Um, some in conjunction with schools and others with the idea that you know they, they're going to as they've had to this year, prove to themselves that they can take students without that end number at the end. And it's possible that a year or two down the track, when they see that the students are just as capable, that maybe there's some, there will be some flexibility developing. But um, I digress. And we're talking universities. Let's bring us back to this... Um, uh, Fourth Industrial Revolution and finalize the ideas I'm just wondering if, if there's something you'd like to take away from as a silver lining to the COVID experience that's related to developing these skills. Could you just give us an idea what it is that you want to see in the future really develop and that you think that there's a capacity to we've just got to make sure we keep the focus.
3: You know, I would just say with this, we have been talking in education for so long and whether it's been the late great Ken Robinson up on stage talking about a need for rethinking education, we've been waiting for a disruption and we've been saying we wanted one and now we have it. And we need to seize this moment as leaders in schools. We need to ask what worked better, what maybe didn't work as well. Where, why do we want kids on campus? What purpose? And, and frankly, I think learning is a very social activity. Kids want to be back on campus. But there's definitely been some ways in which we've had to work which we were not comfortable with. And how do we take that discomfort on our professional level and translate into that into ways we can do even better by our kids. And I think in some ways, it, it's, it's somewhat less tangible to say it, but I think we need to really focus on ourselves as the adults, because if we're really honest, we're the ones that are perpetuating these these more traditional systems. And, and we're the ones in our own way from moving to that that fourth industrial revolution. And we've just, been in a situation where we've broken some of those barriers down, and let's not swing back to it. And if we do, it's all on us.
4: (laughs) A call to arms, James, thank you. Jasmine, you had to hand
1: up. Uh, Yeah, I I would uh, completely agree with what uh, James has uh, mentioned, that more than uh, uh, children, it's adults who uh, need to, uh, you know, hit that uh, barrier to move forward of course a lot of teachers are already doing all those things in the COVID experience right now when we talk about I think uh, the characteristics what you mentioned earlier uh, what we said uh, student uh, driven learning but lifelong learning so let's uh, stick to our lifelong learning A lot of new skills Uh, everyone has learned through this experience and we should continue doing that after COVID. Thank you, Jasmine. And Frank?
2: I think as we, uh, COVID has given us the ability to look at uh, a multiplex view of assessment and instruction and to create a getting a, a more student-centered curriculum, my concern would be uh, exactly as James said, that as we go back into the classroom, which we will eventually do, we don't unlearn what we have learned and go back to what we're comfortable with, because our students will never be the same. Those kids we bring back in our classroom, they ain't going to be the same kids. They would have internalized those changes, and they would probably want to see those changes continue. But we adults are very used to going back to our comfort zone. There can actually be some academic or intellectual conflicts when we return back to the classroom. But let's hope that we can this will help, us, help us to promote the change that we need to make. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much. I thank you three individual, our guests, for your contributions, experience and and wonderful thoughts and the inspiration and also the call to arms to make sure that we don't waste the opportunities and the challenges that we've uh, succeeded in surviving and that we want to take forward the best for education for the future.
0: Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to check out more episodes of IB Voices on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Join us next time for more insights from our IB community.